Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Friday. Today on the podcast, we're going to, of course, talk about USC's opener on Saturday against Arkansas State. We're going to talk with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. He's got, there's a lot of questions for Dan this week, and I do apologize for having this show a little bit later on the week. Uh, I was been down for the count uh, health-wise, so I'm trying to get back and uh, rally it up for the weekend here. But if you have any questions or comments for us, we do love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address or a couple ways to leave us a voicemail 641-715-3900 extension 816-646 and I think I had that actually wrong up on our website peristylepodcast.com so check that number 641-715-3900-816-646 is the extension and of course I mentioned the website peristylepodcast.com you can leave a voicemail on the left side of the page and iTunes, you guys are starting to leave us more feedback on iTunes. Give us that five-star rating. That'd be great. Go to iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Please leave us five-star ratings. That would be wonderful, and people have been doing that. So thanks very much. And want to bring in Dan Weber. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Friday's a good day to do this, I think, uh, with, uh, you know, just the team walkthrough today. Basically, they finished up yesterday. And it didn't look like they went, you know, all that hard yesterday. Yesterday was the review, uh, you know, typical Thursday, uh, no pads. So, uh, we're kind of, you know, now just sitting around waiting for, uh, Saturday night where USC is the 12th and final Pac-12 team to get into action this year by going at eight o'clock on Saturday night, uh, 11 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, everybody else will have already played by the time USC is uh, on the field tomorrow night. Yeah, interesting. So the last one to go, and uh, it was an interesting opening uh, day. The big one, of course, Utah and Michigan. I think that's super important. Uh, Colorado losing on the road to Hawaii wasn't a, a very positive uh, development. And then Arizona, of course, not looking that great when Scooby Wright went down. But it's uh, USC will be the last one to play of all those teams. And, of course, the, the, real, the real important ones, Arizona State and uh, Texas A&M. But, of course, for USC fans, Arkansas State's where it all starts. Yeah, it does, and I do think it's one of those <clears throat> games that uh, I think it's a really good opener. I mean, this is a team that, you know, they played at Tennessee last year in front of 100,000. Uh, you know, they probably aren't going to be playing as many SEC teams because uh, they may be too good to be playing SEC teams on a regular basis at this point when, uh, you know, SEC uh, teams can find, uh, you know, uh, let's see, East Tennessee State just started football, so, uh, you know, they'll – They'll jump on a, a, you know, the SEC schedules. But I mean, I think when you look at Arkansas State, you know, they've won, they've, they've had four straight winning seasons, four straight bowl seasons. They've got nine starters back, uh, from an offense that broke basically every record, you know, in the school history. Uh, a very good, uh, you know, dual threat quarterback in Freddie Knight. And then, uh, you know, this is a team that, uh, you know, Gus Malzahn coach there, Hugh Freeze, now the old Ole Miss coach there. I mean, uh, the Boise State coach, now at Boise State, coach there for a year. <clears throat> so they're not, they're not unfamiliar with pretty good football at Arkansas State. I mean, even though 
nobody knows where the heck Jonesboro, Arkansas is. Uh, but uh, this is not uh, the difference between this team and say Idaho next week is a, is a pretty big difference. These guys uh, have an athlete who can play. Yeah, and we're going to talk to uh, Jeff Reed from State Nation. He's part of the Scout Network covering the Red Wolves. So we're going to have a show on that. I'm probably going to put that one up Saturday morning or maybe Friday, maybe tonight, Friday night. But we'll have another uh, preview of that. So we'll get to get a, a kind of perspective of what's going on on the Arkansas State side. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a, it's a talented team. It's, it's definitely a team that could, if USC doesn't play well, uh, especially it's an opener, you know, could give USC fits. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens Saturday night. Uh, we don't know what's going on with DirecTV and, uh, Pac-12 Network yet. So people keep asking. We don't know. Uh, we'll find out. We'll find out soon enough. But Dan, we have a ton of questions about the team kind of. Uh, just, uh, oh, just, okay. uh, throwing a, a note on that DirecTV. Sure. The reason we don't know is what you hear from the people at the Pac-12 is, because there are some, you know, negotiating, you know, issues, if, if it's going to happen and all that, they say they, they're purposely being kept in the dark by the pack or by the direct TV people oh. that, that the direct TV people don't really want to give away what they're thinking or what they may be doing. Uh, and so, uh, you know, people say, how could you not know? How could the pack? Well, apparently, you know, so that maybe is how they negotiate in you know in television for for a deal like that. So anyway, uh, it's not because we're not trying okay. to, to find out. But uh, uh, but if, if the people at the Pac-12 don't know, we're probably not going to know. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, let's jump into a lot of these questions, Dan. Uh, we just wanted to kind of wrap these things up. Kind of the end of fall camp, I guess you could say. What's going on? People asking about what the team is. You'll get to see the team on Saturday night. Well. If you don't get the Pac-12 network, you don't go to Coliseum. But hopefully you'll get to see a lot of this team. Uh, but let's jump right into these questions. I'm going to start with a voicemail one, Dan. Here you go. Randall in Dallas, and my question is for Dan. The punter that receives his Blue Shirt scholarship, is he going to be redshirting this coming up season since our punter's already uh, a senior? Also, any updates on Ronald Jones? Has he been practicing? Thank you for everything you guys do, and I'll talk to you next week. Yeah, or that I, I I didn't get the uh, the first question. Was that about our our Australian punter? Yeah, exactly about the punter. Yeah, yeah. I he he probably will be redshirted. He's got four years to to do. You know, he's got three years of eligibility and four years after uh, a year at San Francisco City College. Uh, technically, I asked that question of Sark, and Sark the the answer was technically he could play this year. I think that probably won't happen. Actually, I think uh, Chris Alvarado is going to do a lot of, you know, or is going to pick up on the uh, rugby-style punting. Uh, I think uh, he actually is a pretty good rugby-style punter. They just haven't used it all that much. Although they did use it a half dozen times last year. A couple of them got called back. But uh, but I do think it's a signal that they're going to that as, as a philosophy. And I do like the idea that, you get that guy taking, you know, three or four steps before he kicks it. At the same time he's taking those three or four steps, the uh, coverage team is also getting three or four more steps down the field. And if you can accurately kick it to the spot where they're going, uh, it's hard to return those things. If you can get that real good bounce and roll, it's even, you know, if you watch that kid from Utah who, uh, you know, kicks them out of the end zone, you know, 70 yards away, uh, Let's see. As far as Ronald Jones, I thought he had a couple of really good practices, a couple of really good runs. He just looks like uh, he's one of the guys 
and I'm, you know, writing my column about, uh, you know, looking forward to tomorrow is really looking forward to the freshman. And Ronald Jones is one of the guys who just want to see him get a chance to, you know, show you what he, what he can do. And I think, you know, freshman, uh, running back probably has the least, uh, difficulty in terms of transitioning. You either can run, you can see the openings, you can do, or you can't. And I think Ronald's one of the guys who can. So, uh, uh, you know, look for him, uh, tomorrow night. Uh, Tarek had a question and a comment. He said, from what you've seen at practice, will USC consistently run the no huddle hurry up offense? And then he said, uh, Sark's really not giving up play calling. Rather, he's changing how he calls plays. He's moving to the Gus Malzahn model where he calls the plays when it deems it important, but gives Clay Helton a more meaningful job as offensive coordinator. Am I on the right track? You might be overthinking it a little bit, Tarek. I, I, I think the ideal situation would be this is our game plan. <clears throat> uh, Clay, you implement it. Uh, I'll kind of take a look at it. I'll kind of listen, listen in. But I don't think I need to be, if I'm Sark, I'm saying, I don't think I need to be actually calling plays because maybe, you know, while we've got the ball and we're moving it or whatever, I might want to be, you know, talking to, uh, you know, Justin Wilcox about what we're going to do on defense the next series. I might want to be patting some guy, you know, somebody on the back or talking to a freshman or whatever. So I think it, I think, as much as uh, Sark loves play calling, uh, I think he actually has turned the reins over. I, I really do. And I don't think he needs to, you know, babysit the, the play caller. I mean, it's not like, you know, this is Clay Helton's first rodeo. I mean, he's done a lot of play calling. And uh, he's the play caller, every, you know, every day in practice. Uh, so so I, I, think, I think it's a real turnover, a real handover. Now, you know, every head coach, I think, uh, you know, on fourth and two in the red zone or something, you know, they all are going to, uh, you know, be involved in that. Whether he'll actually make that call or not, that'd be interesting. I, I don't think we know the answer to that. I don't know. Maybe Sark doesn't know. But I think there are ways in which you probably want to encourage your guy who is your play caller to really be the play caller. I don't know that it helps you very much if you're trying to, you know, put your, uh, you know, judgment over, uh, you know, the guy who's going to do it most of the time. So, uh, so I think, uh, I think he's turned it over. And then about the, will they consistently run no huddle? Oh, I think they will. Uh, I think, you know, I think last year, the, again, there was some overthinking maybe in terms of, uh, well, how do you do it against Stanford or what do you do, uh, you know, if you're going to, you know, you're not very deep and, you know, you're going to wear yourself out and all that. I think those have all gone by the wayside in terms of the numbers. I mean, I think they're going to try to figure out how can we get enough guys into these games and how can we get them in early. And the one way you can do it is by speeding up the game. The the, the flip side, uh, the negative you know, part of, of them going no huddle last year was you gave the other team more plays, more time to run more plays. And then, that, you know, put your defense uh, on the defense in terms of having enough bodies. I don't think they think that at all this year. I think they're thinking, how can we get enough plays to get all these guys in the game, you know, on both sides of the ball? So I, I'd be surprised if uh, if they put the brakes on this year. I mean, you know, there are situations in the second half of games where you've got a lead and you're able to run the ball on somebody or whatever uh, that you may uh, decide, okay, now we don't need to do this. Uh, and, and you really need to have control of that and understand when and where. But I don't think they're gonna. It's not gonna be like last year when they, you know, all of a sudden, okay, we're not we're not up tempo anymore. 
Uh, Mike at Irvine had a question, Dan. Uh, what's Cameron Smith shown that puts him ahead of Michael Hutchings at middle linebacker? Is it mostly his size that gives him the edge? Uh, I think he, he's got a couple of things. I think the first thing he surprised us with in the spring was how good a cover guy he was. I mean, he doesn't look, you know, and, and that wasn't necessarily his reputation of, of being able to, you know, play the ball and, uh, you know, get really good depth and, uh, and, you know, still keep, uh, you know, leverage on, on a receiver and, uh, and then, you know, basically, uh, you know, in a crowd come out with a football. He, he, he was a revelation, I think, in the spring. Uh, he moved, cause, you know, he was a rep, he had a reputation as a, sort of a big bruiser, banger, you know, brawler. He's a very much of a finesse guy as well. He moves, uh, easily and, and smoothly and, uh, he, he probably never looked like a freshman. Uh, you know, and he doesn't, you know, in person either. I've got a lot of freshmen that don't look like freshmen, but, uh, he didn't play like a freshman. He just, uh, he looked comfortable out there. He didn't ever look like anything was, uh, too much for him, for him. And, uh, he's been, and, and Michael Hutchins had a really good fall and, uh, is, you know, a mentor to a lot of these kids. And, uh, you know, but, uh, but Cameron, when you're, you know, the difference is, you know, you're just at, you know, at almost 6'3", 245 and moves as well as he, he does. He's, uh, this is a, a kind of a freak group of freshman linebackers. They're just, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're quicker, uh, than people, you know, that have been here. And, uh, it makes a difference. You know, USC tweeted out this morning, Dan, that if, uh, Cameron Smith starts, he'll be the first USC true freshman to start the opener at inside linebacker since, uh, Ricky Gray, that's actually Ricky Ellison, uh, back in 1978 versus Texas Tech. And I kind of tweeted on it. It's like it's you know the lot, so many talented true freshman defenders, and he just wouldn't have been your first pick as the guy that comes in and makes the biggest difference. But he was here in the the spring, and I think that helped a lot. You know, injury to Lamar Dawson kind of opens up a spot, and and boom, there you know it looks like Smith is going to be able to get start. And I guess there are some similarities with uh, you know Ricky Gray ended up as a uh, uh, linebacker with the 49ers and Northern California guy and uh, sent his son Red Ellison down you know uh, kind of a bruising uh, you know uh, guy who could have probably played linebacker if he wanted to uh, but uh, that would be neat if he's the he's the first one uh, I think that's going to happen I, I'd be you know they didn't release him. <laughs> As basically the first freshman we got to talk to all year, uh, for no reason. Yeah. Uh, the other day. I mean, he, there's a reason, you know, Cameron Smith was, was the one that was designated to come over and talk to us. Yeah. And we actually have a one-on-one video interview with him up there on the site now. If you, if people want to check it out on uscfootball.com, uh, Keely got to talk to Cameron Smith. So it's cool. It's up there and you can kind of get a sense for what he's like. Um, Zane from Houston had a question and he, he was also concerned about Steve Sarkeesian calling the plays like in the red zone or like critical third, fourth down situations. But he wanted to know, and you know, we kind of already talked about that, but he wanted to know, uh, could you diagnose some of the red zone and third and fourth down problems from last year? Thank you and fight on. Well, actually, USC, uh, one of the better red zone teams in the country. I think it was 75%, you know, conversion ability. So they, you know, they still had the, the difficulty of being able to power run, you know, and we all remember the third and two, fourth and two at Utah 
that cost them the game, where they had to go, they kind of, you know, went for two trick plays, which was just, you know, mind-boggling, to be honest. Uh, you know, less than three minutes to go, all you need is one first down. You've got the ball, and they're 27. You've got the lead. Game's over if you get a first down. You run a couple of trick plays. So that would have been one issue uh, that, you know, the idea that uh, we're going to come out of the huddle real fast, run the hurry-up play, get uh, the quarterback under the center where we already know that Max uh, has an issue with snapping the ball to a quarterback who's under the center just because he's got, you know, he's six six and long. His arms are longer than that. I mean, it just, uh, you know, there is an issue with the ball being in the same place at the same time. If you try to do that while you're doing it in a hurry and you haven't done it before in the game, that's just a, a recipe for uh for you know screwing it up, which they did. Uh, the other, you know, the other issue was uh, uh, say the Arizona State game, and they get the onside kick with the lead, uh, and they're in Arizona State territory, and they go three and out because they're they're afraid to throw it, and uh, they couldn't run it for three straight plays. You know, they'd scored 32 points or whatever it was already, and yet uh, when they needed to be able to run the ball and really punch it in there. Uh, they they weren't able to do that. Other than that, their red zone, you know, offense has been you know been pretty good. Uh, just the and I do think and I think Sark said this: the ability to run power when you need it is going to change with uh, Trey Mann. Uh, you know, Buck Allen, I think he was two fifteen and he had he had power, but Buck needed I think space. He needed a crease. He needed a chance to get ahead of steam. He was a kind of a downhill runner once he got into space. Uh, he was more of a, uh, a converted, uh, wide receiver. I mean, he had been a great receiver in high school. And so he was more of a guy playing in space where I think Trey is more a guy, you know, he's got, he was a linebacker and a quarterback. I think he's more comfortable, you know, playing in the backfield and, you know, finding that team or making that team happen. So I think they've got one advantage this year in, in terms of the short yardage, uh, you know, power running situation with, with Trey Madden. All right. Uh, this is, we'll go to Nick, Nick from Cyprus. We got to see him Tuesday at our, uh, we had a little anniversary party for members of the site for uscfootball.com. Uh, Nick from Cyprus, AKA Big Nick 21 USC. Uh, he says, first I want to say I love what you and Ryan do with the podcast. So thank you. Uh, well, thank you, Nick. And the question is, what is your honest opinion of fall camp? And then what is your realistic expectation record-wise for the team? I think the fall camp was, you know, where they picked up, there was continuity, I think, from spring to summer to fall. Uh, so they didn't, you know, you didn't see them, you know, going backwards. Uh, you didn't see them slowing down. They uh, installed everything. You know, basically a lot of that was, you know, review. But they've gotten in a lot of reps. They've gotten to do a lot of things we didn't get to see last year. Uh, tremendously more work on special teams. Uh, you know, all kinds of the coverage situations, all kinds of kickoff situations, uh, and things that we really didn't get, you know, get to see all, all that much. A lot more just emphasis on the details. And, uh, and I think that'll pay off. Uh, how it works with the, you know, the field goal game, as anybody's guess at this point, we're just not as absolutely certain. Although Alex Woods 
you know, won that job and, uh, you know, congratulations to him and then won a scholarship and that's great. Um, and as far as that goes now, you've got all three people involved in the, you know, the field goal part of the game, uh, the snapper, the holder and, uh, you know, Connor Sullivan, Zach Smith and now Alex Wood all have scholarships and they were all walk-ons. So, so that's a, a pretty neat thing to say about, you know, that three kids who can walk on at USC and become really important members. And, and so you've seen that. I think they've handled, I think one of the things Sark does really well is handles sort of the competitive, uh, that's I think something that really is, has some continuity with the way Pete did it. Uh, in terms of, you know, you play, uh, you move into the first group or the second group, depending on how you play. And I don't think they're, you know, saying we got to play this guy because we recruited him from here, and if we don't play him, we won't be able to recruit another guy. You don't see much. You don't get the sense of that. It's based on, you know, performance, uh, you know, on the practice field. And I think that was the absolute secret of Pete's success was the – performance, the competitive performance on the practice field that they took with them into games believing that nobody they played will have practiced as hard, competed as hard, uh, played against as, as many good people in practice, you know, in, in, in every game. And they, the confidence level at USC that when the time came, they would be able to make the play because they did it in practice every day was what absolutely separated USC. And I think they've done a good job of that. I'm, I've been real, you know, pleased. Now, again, it's sustaining that through the entire season that we'll see, you know, how it works. But I think fall camp, it's been a good fall camp. Uh, when you consider the number of freshmen that they've had to integrate into this, uh, you know, uh, basically into the rotations. And there are a lot of them that are in the rotations. And that's not easy to do. I, I would guess. I think I'm going to say this in my column. I don't think there could possibly be a top 10 team going this weekend that's going to play as many freshmen as USC will. I mean, I just don't think that's even remotely possible that, that you'll see a, a top 10 team playing as many true freshmen. But, uh, they're not playing, you know, because they were highly ranked or, you know, recruited and everybody wants to show what they, no, they're playing because they deserve to play, because they deserve to be out there. And, uh, and so that's, to me, that's going to be the focus, I think, of tomorrow night. Um, did you have a prediction for the, the season? Uh, <laughs> you're, I, you're not big on I those. Really I really don't. Do, I, I mean, you know, I, when I think of how long we have been, and we only get down to the field the last five minutes. And when I think of how long I'd have been, if you just tapped me on the shoulder, you know, with four minutes to go, and how many of those games last year, I'd have been wrong. That's yeah. with four minutes to go. And, you know, now we're, <laughs> That's a great we're point. Three, four months down the road. It's like, there's no way. Uh, you know, they, let's face it. USC has probably got probably more talent than anybody they play. I, I don't think that's wrong to say that. It's young talent. Uh, you know, this is the coach's first uh, top 10 team. Uh, you know, we all know that, you know, the, the issues that, that, uh, you know, are outside, you know, the exact football parameters of this team. But, uh, you know, there are human issues and, you know, real day-to-day stuff that's going on. But it wouldn't, there's, there's not a game that this team will go into that you would be surprised if they win. I don't, I mean, there, there aren't any. I mean, you, you know, you line them up. Uh, if you look at last year and what could have been with the team 
you know, that had you know, three or four guys that are really going to be missed without any question about it. But with way fewer uh, people that they could put on the field than this year's team, and, you know, how many, you know, they were within, you know, a play here and a play there of, uh, you know, double-digit, you know, win season and maybe a Pac-12 South championship. And uh, so how would you be surprised if any, you know, any of the games they they did, you know, they won? I mean, yeah, so just they've got a chance. Yeah. I mean, they've got a chance. Um. Okay, so there's a lot. Sark is still a polarizing uh, figure, of course. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts. We had Ron write in, and he he was kind of happy with uh, Sark giving up the play calling duties. He said this action and statement gave me more confidence as a fan that Sark is realistic about his self assessment as a coach and is generally trying to improve rather than letting his ego totally run the show. Uh, what's your take on this? And then we have guys like Joe who says, if USC has a good season, it will be in spite of Steve Sarkeesian, not because of him, disappointed. So we have kind of wide ranges, people that are, you know, kind of happy with what's happened with Steve Sarkeesian, and other people are just, they're they're still not buying in. Yeah, and, and I would, you know, I wouldn't wouldn't buy in, but I am, you know, I, I'm, you know, watching what's happened in practice and, you know, watching I mean, the whole uh, play calling situation. I think that was handled really well. Uh, I think it will make him a better coach. It will give him a chance to be a head coach. I think he, you know, it was one of those things that he and he and Lane, it was so much a part of their whole lives in terms of how they saw themselves coming up, you know, with Pete and, you know, competing. And there was obviously competition between the two of them and uh, Norm Chow. Congratulations to Norm, I guess, for, for last night. And, uh, uh, but, uh, I think that was so much their vision of how it was to be a head coach for them. Uh, and Clay Helton, you know, mentioned that, that that was hard for Sark to give that up. But I think it's, it was, a, you know, and, and was that the, you know, the, the reason was what happened at, you know, salute to Troy? Or was that, you know, in the works in a way that it was absolutely, absolutely going to happen? Uh, you know, I think that, you know, the salute to Troy thing probably pushed it over that it made it really make a lot of sense to do it. And I think in this, you know, the time since that's happened, we've seen Sark, uh, I think it frees him to be, and I think he's almost re- realizing it like, you know, I can talk to Justin. Uh, you know, I can, you know, grab a guy and say, way to go, nice play, you know, or you know, whatever he has to do. And, you know, just the point of, I can talk to the officials, which obviously he couldn't do last year when he had, you know, to bring Pat Aiden down in the Stanford game. So there are so many, I think, pluses to him not being the play caller that, uh, that I think however that happened, that's a good thing. And I, I think it, 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 it gives them a chance to maybe be in a place that maybe they wouldn't have been if that didn't happen. Uh, for those who are unhappy about what happened, they ought, you know, they ought to be. It was, that was not a good, that was a really, uh, a big letdown for the people who, you know, who hired Sark and, uh, you know, went out on a limb, to be honest. Uh, you know, Sark, they hired him. It was a personal hire. It wasn't a hire based on, okay, you've got one of the three or four top college football coaching jobs in America. Let's go out and get one of the top three or four, you know, college football coaches. It was a kind of a personal statement that we 
think this guy fits in and we trust him and all that. And so, you know, you lose some of that. And there's no question uh, that that has to be, you know, gained back. And, uh, you know, there are, you know, you don't like it, for example, Cody Kessler and Stuart Craven should not have to come to practice when their teammates are warming up and they've got to, you know, explain that they're still behind their coach and, you know, all of that. That, that. that shouldn't have to happen. It might work out for the better. This might be the way that they all coalesce and the uh, assistant coaches step up in a more dramatic way to take over and everybody kind of rallies around the flag. I don't, I don't know that it's going to be easy. But uh, I think they've got a chance. Uh, but, you know, so much of that is uh, hard. This is a challenge. Uh, you know, I mean, just the fact that this is your first ever team going into the season that's top ten uh, and you're at USC and people are expecting uh, what they're expecting. And um, so I can, I can see both sides of that, uh, you know, reaction to Sark. All right. Uh, we got a few more. Dan, does your, uh, your dog take a little nap there? <laughs> no, no. You know what? I'm hearing that, but that's not, that's not here. I wish it were. They're, oh, they're being very quiet. My dogs are being very quiet. That's funny. But I yeah. hear that too. I hear a little snoring going on. That's kind of funny. I don't know what that is. Uh, that's okay. So apologize for that. We don't know what it is. Uh, yeah, we don't. I'm looking and I, yeah, I was, that was my first thought actually, but, uh, they're, uh, they're very quiet today. <laughs> That's funny. We used to have Coach Harvey Hyde's dog would always kind of bark in the background. It was funny when we did these. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we have a few more. James in Kansas City. He said, I would be interested in getting your group's take on the, dy- on the dynamic that exists between the, the players and the coaching staff, and particularly the position coaches. That seems to be one of the areas that, with a few exceptions, hasn't been as good in recent years. And which might be part of why the team hasn't seemed to be able to be consistently tough and focused on a week to week basis. How does the team look this year and how do the players seem to interact with and respond to their respective position coaches? Do you see anything, uh, that you would believe provides some insight into the direction that the program is headed in this now indisputably pivotal season? Thanks, uh, James in Kansas City. Yeah, I think James, that's always, you know, that is a really key point. And, uh, I think one of the difficulties last year, uh, was that the year before that coaching staff, after, especially after the firing of Lane, rallied around in remarkable ways. I mean, that was one of the uh, greatest, uh, team, I mean, group coaching, I guess you would say, uh, performances that I've ever seen. Uh, and those were some really, I mean, you say what you will about Lane. He was able to get guys that, I mean, and, and it was kind of funny. You would interview these guys after they'd been hired and, and they, you know, they loved Lane. And then they started coaching with him and they would go, uh, <clears throat> uh, and yet once Lane was gone, man, that, that was a great coaching staff. I mean, it was, so I think there was a big challenge. I mean, it really related well to the players, and they, you know, just picked up. And, and instead of looking for their next job and all that, that group of guys just did as good a job as you could ever, as you could ever possibly hope for in that situation. It was just remarkable. So that was a big challenge last year, you know, to bring in six guys from Washington, and you know, to have people say, you know, I don't know if they're as 
you know, that group we had the year before was really good. So I think they were, you know, kind of up against it a little bit. I think, I, I think the way this has all evolved, uh, it's moving in the right direction, I think. Uh, uh, there were some rough spots last year in terms of everybody working together and everybody being on the same page. And, uh, uh, that happened so quickly the year before because that was, those weren't all brand new, you know, all guys that had been together, but they just seemed to, you know, pick up one another where they needed it and all that. I think I'm seeing more of that this year. And I'm probably being optimistic, uh, which is what you almost have to do at this time of year. But, uh, but I think you're seeing, you know, they're being more forceful. Uh, I think the position groups, uh, you know, seem to be, you know, working well together. Uh, I mean, I think they've made little adjustments like, uh, the rush ends now instead of, you know, half the time with the defensive line, half the time with the linebackers are spending all their time with the linebackers. So they get to, you know, relate just to, uh, you know, Peter Thurman instead of, you know, going back and forth. And, uh, you're seeing more, uh, you know, Johnny Nansen, uh, being much more able to be much more forceful as a, as a special teams coach because they're spending so much more time on special teams. It's just, all of the things that, you know, didn't maybe happen as quickly as everybody would have hoped for, which is probably, uh, unrealistic last year. I think that's, uh, that's happening more this year. They're moving in the right direction and, uh, you know, the proof will be, uh, you know, once we start playing games. But, uh, uh, I, I think it's, it's working better this year than we, uh, than we maybe saw it last year. Uh, we'll knock out these last few. It says, uh, Hey Ryan, this is Dennis from Lancaster. My question is for Dan. What, what players on offense or defense need to have a big game on Saturday to keep their starting job? Looking at the depth, oh, I hope you're okay, Dan. Uh, bless you. Uh, looking at the depth chart, there's plenty of position battles that might change by the next game. Keep up the great work and fight on. I don't know if I look at it in the classic starter role because I don't think they're looking at it as much in that, you know, starter role. Um, let's see. I mean, when you look at, for example, the three tight ends, I mean, they're all going to play and they're interchangeable. And I don't know if you're ever going to have where you say, okay, this guy is absolutely the starter. I mean, may happen, but, uh, uh I, I, I'm not sure I, I see that. I don't see that in the running backs. I don't think, uh, uh, people who need, uh, you know, a big game, uh, it, it just doesn't seem to me to be the kind of situation where, uh, there's going to be such a big demarcation in terms of, uh, Playing time. I mean, I think it's going to go game to game. I think one of the theories of how they're going to do it, for example, on defense, is the uh, you play a whole lot of guys early, and you keep them all fresh. But you also see who's really playing well, and those are the guys you finish the game with. And I think that that may be the way you're going to see this, you know, play out, where everybody gets a chance to go in the first half, and they just, you know, keep shuffling. Uh, you know, personnel-wise, and then, uh, you know, you just won't play as much if you're not having a good game, and the other guy will. But I, I think that might be the kind of thing that's going to go week to week to week, uh, where they, and the good thing about that is that keeps the competition really going. 
uh, you know, every week where it's not, or it keeps it going in the game itself. Uh, you know, where you just stay on, you better stay on top of your, you know, of what you're doing. And, uh, but when I look at the, you know, and look at positions, it just doesn't jump out at you that, okay, this is the guy who's on the bubble. You know, you could say Scott Felix because you got Jabari Ruffin and Port Augustine. Uh, again, they're all going to play. So, uh, you know, at that rush end. So who's listed first? Maybe that, that could change, uh, uh, you know, at some of these positions, but, but I don't see it as the classic big difference between you're a starter and you're not a starter. You don't have that sense with this team. I mean, I think I went through the, the roster last week and I came up with 60 guys that you could pencil in on, on a week as a, as the first guy at his position on a particular line. And, and you wouldn't think anything of it. Now you wouldn't do that with a whole bunch of those guys that are, you know, maybe down a, a, a level or two on the depth chart. But, uh, there are a lot of guys who wouldn't be totally uncomfortable, you know, on that first line. Um, I agree with you 100%, Dan. It'll be funny to see. It'll be interesting to see all the different guys that play because I think you're going to see a lot of people come in there. Um, Persecutor had a question. Dan, would you agree that the UCLA game this year shapes up as the most important for USC football since 1967? Wow, that's going back. Uh, the stakes are so high. I wasn't even bored then, so I'm not sure I can answer that. But um, it's not just the likelihood that will decide the Pac-12 South. Losing the UCLA four years straight with a freshman quarterback won't just be disappointing. It could well be a turning point. Consider if UCLA does turn out to be a top-notch team and we lose to them, the impact of yet another quote-unquote upset is obvious. And if they do turn out to be Pac-12 champions, that hurts us in recruiting. In either case, can you imagine a scenario where Sark remains as USC head coach if he can't consistently out-recruit Jim Mora, i.e. we face them every year without a talent advantage? I can't recall any USC coach since 1960 who in that position, not even when UCLA was going to the Rose Bowl. Uh, bear secure. So he's worried. Yeah. I, USC did have the yeah, number yeah, one I, recruiting class in the country last year and yeah, had a better class. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's the issue is out recruiting UCLA. I mean, UCLA didn't beat USC the last three years because they out recruited them. Uh, that, that's, that's not probably ever going to be, even as, you know, the dark years, uh, USC wasn't getting out recruited and was coming in with some really good players. They just ended up with, uh, you know, really bad game plans, really bad execution. I mean, you had three straight years, three different coaches, and the product was about the same uh, for all kinds of different reasons. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's it really, really, really important game. Uh, you don't want to make it too important. I mean, there have been games where, you know, you got to you outthink yourself and you come up with, oh, let's do something really special or let's change the way we're playing. Yeah, defense. Oh, there, that's a good idea. Uh, you know, at the end of the year and you're going to change everything. Uh, so hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully you walk out there and just say, look, we're, you know, we're better than these guys and, and we're going to play harder. And that's the way the game goes. And you, my, my take on this year with the UCLA game is I would not make it too big a deal. I'd just make it another USC UCLA game and this, you know, time we're going to play well. And, uh, and that's all. I mean, I, I do not want to. I, I don't think you want to make at the end of the, you know, the most important game. What is, would that be in 48 years? Uh, 
uh, I don't know that uh, to me the Texas game was pretty important. <laughs> you know, uh, there were a lot of important games, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, because it's you know head to head in in town. I mean, the thing that's driving them crazy, I think, at UCLA is they've won those three straight games, and it doesn't seem to matter. I think Michael Lev made a really good point. They've done everything they can over there, good and bad, and they can't get any publicity. Nobody pays any attention to them. I mean, you know, they have this, you know, this uh, absolute, you know, superstar rapper, you know, come in and try to, you know, and it's like, Nothing, you know. I mean, they have, you know, they have good stuff. They have bad stuff, and it's like, hey, pay attention to us over here. Hey, we're over here, and uh, you know, it, it can't be fun for them to, you know, see USC ranked in the top ten going into the season. And uh, so, I think maybe we overthink a little bit the whole UCLA USC, you know, relationship. And uh, I just think, uh, you know, you. You're better than them, and you're going to make it happen. And uh, uh, you don't try to change up. You don't try to, you know, act like it's the biggest thing going. Uh, and just, uh, you know, just play the game. I mean, I don't think Pete made it a big deal. Um, you just play the game and say, hey, we're better than they are. But we have to play our game, and we have to play exactly the way we play, and we have to, you know, compete like crazy. And uh, that hasn't happened for three straight years, and you see what happens. But uh, uh, I just go back to, you know, just, just play your game. Don't make it too big a deal. And just assume you're, you've prepared better. You've practiced better all year. You've got better players. You're going to win. Uh, we got two more quick ones, and I don't even know if you need to answer this one, Dan, but Tana wants to know, will any of the three freshman running backs redshirt? I don't think so. No, <laughs> no, I, I really don't think so. I yeah. think there are. I, I mean, I think we'll know the answer to that tomorrow. Because yeah. as Sark said, they're all going to play. They're going to play. So, so I think you'll like have those. your answer tomorrow. Yeah, and then another freshman question from uh, Irvin: um, Is there a chance you might see Porter, Gustin, Osamasina, Cameron Smith all on the field at the same time? I think so. Yeah, I think I think they might do that just to, just for the fun of it. But I think the rotations are going to be such. That, uh, it could, it could just happen. You know, I mean, they're gonna, they've got different ways of substituting for different position groups and all of that. So, uh, I mean, I think it might have been more likely, uh, if Cameron wasn't the starter, but, uh, but we'll see how that, uh, but yeah, I think that, that's an absolute possibility. And, uh, that ought to be scary to some people when you see, you know, that freshman group, uh, all in there together and, th- and think, hey, those guys are freshmen. Yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> Well, Dan, great stuff. Uh, we got our, sorry again, again, it was a later, uh, in the week podcast. That's okay. We do it Friday before the game. It's not too bad. Uh, but thanks for getting all the questions. I know we had a ton of them this week. Yeah, that's great. And I don't blame them. This is the time to have those questions and, uh, we'll start getting some answers tomorrow night. And, uh, I think that's what's the fun about this is, uh, is, I mean, we've seen, you know, almost all the practices or almost every play and every practice. And yet, you know, I'm, I mean, what I'm writing, you know, for tomorrow is, or for today, looking at tomorrow, is I can't wait to see them play with the lights on. I, that's just, that's what I want to see. Yeah. And that's what matters. And, uh, you know, as much as practice transfers to, to the games, uh, 
nothing is quite like that. Uh, you know, when they hit the field and they're they're actually you know the lights are on and they're they're ready to go. And uh, I think it'll be uh, I think it'll be a pretty good show. I mean, I, I think this I think this is a team that's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, that's all we can hope for, Dan. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on. And I wanted to, I forgot to mention Michael Moline Real Estate at the top of the show, so we'll give you a little message from them coming up here in a second. But thanks to Dan Weber, and thanks to everyone. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E, realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 